Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Tim Fallon is the owner-operator of FTW SAAM. FTW Ranch is in West Texas, about two and a half hours west of San Antonio, and is a long-range shooting course. It is absolutely unbelievable. They've got like, I, I think, 38 shooting ranges on the course, ranging up to a mile that you can shoot. And I was fortunate enough to go to participate in a long-range shooting school. It was exceptional. Proud to say that I shot a thousand-yard target. But more importantly, I wanted to have a conversation with Tim because the ethos of FTW Ranch is literally on signboards all around the property really focusing on the idea of ethics tied to shooting and making sure that you make that one shot count when that animal of a lifetime is in front of you. So I wanted to have that conversation with Tim to really just expound upon that ethos that is FTW Ranch. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple, is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is. Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So all around this place, I see this one sign. Well, actually, I see lots of signs. <laughs> okay. But there's the one sign, I'm looking at it right now. And it says this. 
It's the hunter's job to kill an animal instantly with the first shot. Who came up with that? Um, I'd hate to take credit for it. I I don't remember. It's been a while, but it certainly came up in one of our conversations. We were debating at the time this long-range hunting stuff that you're Okay. Seeing pretty often now, even on TV, and we're completely opposed to it. Okay. Shit, man, I didn't realize we were going to run this rabbit hole right right quick, right off the yes, gate. Yes, sorry. But if, based on what I did yesterday, mm-hmm. I feel very confident with my gun, with my bullet, mm-hmm. with my setup, mm-hmm. and I can kill and I can put a grouping in a six-inch target at mm-hmm. 700 yards. Mm-hmm. Why is that not exactly what that board is saying? Your issue is in the hunting environment, you've never had an opportunity to shoot 40 rounds downrange to learn what the real wind's doing. Mm. In a hunting environment, you get one shot, Mm. one first shot. And the average hunter, and I don't want to exclude everybody, but even myself and certainly more qualified than me, our instructors, are not comfortable confident to lay down and make a one shot 700 yard shot on an elk without understanding exactly what the wind is doing and that's where the art is right that's the wind the the wind is certainly a huge factor yes and it takes time i mean you know how many snipers we get through here you know tier one military snipers and not even they can do it and this this is their living and it just, you know, you can look at the environment, you can look at the leaves, you can look at the dust, you can look at lots of different things, but you don't know at every stage what potential wind could be coming from another direction that you don't see or understand. And if you've never shot like we shot yesterday, 40 rounds, 60 rounds in one day, mm-hmm. I was blown away, excuse the pun, by how much wind changed my bullet mm-hmm. impact zone. Mm-hmm. At 500 yards, at 600 yards, at 700 yards, at 1,000 yards. Right. And you're shooting an extremely high BC bullet. Well, I mean, you're shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor with a BC of 6.3. Well, I was, no, I was actually, well, I was, no, the, I, w- I wish I was shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor. Oh, that's right. I was right. shooting you're a shooting 308. 308, that's right. 165 grain bullet that right. was like, oh, Robbie, you need to add another two foot to the right. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Fallon. Welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Introduce yourself, who you are, where we are. Uh, Well, we're at the FTW Ranch, the home of the SAM Hunter Training Program. What does SAM stand for? Uh, Sportsman's All-Weather, All-Train Marksmanship. Okay. Um, Been doing this for a lot of years, really since about 2005. And, of course, it has developed and morphed, but bottom line is we're here to teach you how to be better with your own gear and if you're wondering what gear to buy, just come use our stuff and figure out what works best for you. And but it's but it all, and you tell me, it seems like based on all the signage that is around, you know the 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 the, the classroom work that we've done, the range time that we've done, it all seems really centered around that this ethos of one shot, one kill. Right. This is what you need to do. Correct. This is what you need to be confident in doing. Right. This is what you need to be effective at doing. And then 
understand where my line of effectiveness is drawn. Right. Correct. Okay. So why is my line of effectiveness not 700? Is there a number? Because this is the thing. Like people will say, ah, long range hunting. Like we've said at the beginning of this podcast, ah, it's a fad. Okay. So what's the number, Tim? (laughs) I said 700 to you. You're like, yeah, and uh, if I'd said 400... Well, seven is is extreme in my opinion. And, and look, it's a personal choice, and we tell folks that. We're not here to tell them what their limit is. And that limit can change by the day, by the hour, by the temperature, by the winds, by the altitude, um, your physical conditioning. Um, so it's a personal choice. You need to understand your ballistics, your capabilities, and then you know in these certain circumstances or environments. I mean, look, I've had 400-yard shots on Ibex in Mongolia that I didn't take. Because the winds were just howling. Pumping. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure I could have hit the animal, but hell, that's not hunting. Mm-hmm. That's hope I hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it depends. It's a personal choice. I scoffed at your 700. I didn't <laughs> scoff. I, I, you were making a point. Of and course. A very, very, very good point. Yep. Um, but 700, I personally have never seen a shooter, and we've had thousands through here, that I would say, yep, that guy could do it in any environment. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. 300? You bet. Mm-hmm. 400? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seemed like yesterday, even, you know, we had variable winds from nothing to 9 to 15, you know, with the trees moving a little bit. Sure. It's, it felt like, again, I'm not a shooter. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm now a more confident shooter based on what I just went through. I was telling the guys yesterday, like, I've shot guns, right? But it wasn't like like we were discussing up there. When you shoot a gun as a typical hunter coming in, you are the boyfriend of, like I was, I was the boyfriend of the girlfriend of the girl that, whose father and family hunted. I'm going to go hunting. They're putting a 308, 7mm 08 in my hands. It's on, quote-unquote. You can't see my fingers going, quote-unquote. They set out a a bucket with a red dot on it, shoot the red dot at 100 yards. If you get in and around it, yeah, that's good enough. Let's go hunting. Right. Right? Right. But yesterday, like now, if you told me, Robbie, go grab your SIG, and you're going to go cold bore shot 700 right now, I'd be like, no problems. I feel confident enough that I feel like if there's zero wind, if there's zero wind, to your point, I'm going to hit it. Yep. Because I got the dope, I got the lev- elevation, whatnot. But in the scenario yesterday where we did have wind, I felt, and maybe I, f- I think all of everyone felt that way, and I think the instructors felt like 350 was like our mark. Like 350, you just had to hold maybe a little right. It wasn't off the target anymore. You weren't changing your reticles. It felt like from zero to 350, you were like that. You you are bang on. Right. Doesn't matter about the wind, even though it got a little higher. And obviously, if it gets to forty, fifty, then yes, of course. Right. But to me, that felt like okay. That's our distance. Well, you threw out a number that's actually a really good number. I mean, after going through the training, the average hunter here coming through, I would feel very confident at three to four hundred yards easily. A sheep shot at say four fifty or five hundred. Yeah, take your time. Figure out what the wind's doing. You've got the knowledge. You've got the skills. You can figure this out. Um, 
it's certainly not a quick shot, and I think every ethical average hunter would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Give me a couple minutes to get, get prone, give me set up, yep. comfortable. Yep. I tell people, we tell the students that, okay, if you're all of a sudden your guide says, whoa, look at that beautiful doll sheep at 450 yards. What's the first thing that's going to happen? And nobody is immune to this problem. Nobody. Your heart rate's going to go absolutely nuts. Hundreds. You're going <laughs> to start throwing all the principles of, of marksmanship that we've taught <laughs> you right out the window. So the important thing is, look, start saying a prayer. You do whatever you got to do to stay calm, cool, collected. Most importantly, keep breathing. Mm-hmm. Just keep breathing deeply. Mm-hmm. Relax. So, you know, you, you, get, you lay down, get your backpack all set up. You get your shooting glove or a bag or a rock or whatever you got supporting the back of that gun, and you just start watching the, the animal. And, look, if you don't have time to make that kind of shot at that distance, don't shoot. Right. Um, worst thing you can do is wound that animal. What do you think, what is your opinion on the pressures on in hunting in that scenario? Because with social media today, you know, I know you at Dallas Safari Club, you've actually removed all of your awards tied to hunting, but SCI still has awards. They still have right. circles that you go, in, and that means you have to have the animal to sure. do that. Mm-hmm. You've spent, let's talk about, let's, you mentioned sheep, say doll sheep. You've spent 25 grand, 28 grand for a doll sheep. Yep. Right? It's 550, and you, you know, you put the gun down, and things started to move. It's second to last day have we created that environment where that hunter is like i have to pull the tree have you thought about that like have we what was that environment the same 25 years ago um costs may be a lot higher today but you get what i'm saying I do. I, I do exactly this, this understand. thing that we have to take that animal you have to shoot you can't go home with the tag having Having been in that circumstance many times, um, I, it's certainly pressure for me, but my pressure was not, ooh, i got to get that trophy on the wall. That's not why I hunt. Um, I would venture a guess to say that 90% of the hunters feel the exact same way I do. They would like to accomplish their goal, and they would like to get that sheep because, A, they've spent a lot of money. It's been a lifelong quest. It's been a lifelong dream, whatever. You've got your own internal pressures. But... Ooh, I got to get that sheep because I need to get that animal scored. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever met a guy that would actually think in those terms. I'm sure there might be one or two or mm. twenty out there. I agree, not the score. I, I agree from a score perspective, right? But I think from a check the box perspective, I'll tell you what my pressure is: is that you, yes, money aside, small kids at home, wife that says go do it, mm-hmm. and you don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what the hell did you just do? Five, what, what the, you know, what the hell, Robbie? You just spent five days and you didn't do what you went there to do. <laughs> I hoped it was a big trophy fee on that hunt, because <laughs> if you didn't get it, I, I would get your wife's point. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't know. Um, I'll tell you, be honest with you, the, the the most wonderful hunt I've ever been on, and as you know, we can tell there's been a bunch of them was a 26-day elephant hunt in Namibia for one elephant. One. We saw him on day two and never fired a shot. You followed him for 22 days after days. that? 25 days. Oh, my days. God. And we bumped him five or six times. The wind was just always really a problem. Mm-hmm. 
and we'd get within 50 yards, and whew, the wind would swirl off. They'd, all six of them would go. It was the same six bulls, five Ascaris, and, you know, the big bull. And my favorite hunting experience of my lifetime. Hmm. Absolutely awesome. How many kilometers did you put on foot? You know, I tried to track it, you know, on the GPS daily, and we did somewhere around 240 miles. Yeah. So <laughs> in 25 days, we averaged 10 call it 10 miles 10 there was a guy a we just came out of Botswana and one of the areas we visited he's got five elephants on quota the first elephant hunter went in April 1 a- spent 30 day, yeah. days no way and killed a bull on the day 29 good for him and he walked I think they said more than 240 kilometers in deep sand oh brutal yeah and they drove probably I think Leon said they drove more than 600 kilometers. Probably, yeah. You know, to cut tracks and then find the track and now walk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that 26 days was fortunately not in sandy, not in Botswana sand. It was more in hard, uh, you know, hard ground in northern Caprivi. So let me ask this. Why do you think, I know my, I don't know why answer, I'm interested in yours. Why do you think this ethos that you have here, This is, you know, it's a hunter's job to kill the animal instantly with the first shot. You've got T-shirts that say, you know, essentially, the, I can't, you'll have to say it, but the statement on the back of the T-shirt essentially is, you know, you have an expectation to meet, and that expectation only comes with training. Mm-hmm. If you asked non-hunters about hunters, you asked anti-hunters that, of of framing their reference around something that they've seen from hunters. Why do you think they don't know the amount of effort, time, money that goes into a hunter creating a a mindset that makes him more effective? And I use effective because we've been using effective the entire time here. Right. But you could replace effective with lethal. Right. You could, sure. Why Why is that not our narrative? Why, why don't anti-hunters appreciate that? No, is why that Why is that not our, narr- our hunter's narrative that a non-hunter and anti-hunter actually sees a lot of? Because they just say, oh, you guys are just killers. You just, you know, you wound animals left, right, and center. You, you really don't, you know, you don't have any respect for that wildlife. That's actually a really good point. There should be a lot more stories about there. I know we at Dallas are really trying to pump out that information about, look, here's how much money hunters spend annually, in, like in the United States, which is a fairly easy number to attain. It's published, actually. Um, and then we're trying to equate that into worldwide, you know, especially in Africa, what good comes from the hunting world. And I, th- I think it's getting better, but you're right. I mean, we we hunters don't do a very good job telling the world why and how why what we do we do and how much good it does for the world and as a whole i'm actually whenever something comes across my brain and i know it's a good idea i always uh i want to write it down because um one of the things that we should do is so we like to build infographics i bet you that uh you have many first-time hunters mm-hmm. coming through here that are going to Africa for the first time. Yep. Correct or non-correct? Yes, correct. And they typically are going to go to Africa for the first time as a plains game hunt. 
About 50-50. Okay, but you've got people. Right. You've got people, a new hunter right. coming here. I'm going to Africa for my five-day safari, seven-day safari, which is your typical plains game. Right. And you're going to shoot five to ten animals. Right. Right? Right. We should build an infographic that shows how much money that person spent for this course, how much money they spent on the rifle, how much money they spent on the ammunition. Mm-hmm. How much time you can make them? You can do a time assessment if you want to. You don't really need to. You could just put money, and how much the the hunt cost. And I can guarantee you that in that in that plains game scenario, I don't want to go into the buffalo scenario, or elephant scenario. You probably are equal. Think about it. How much this course is? Mm-hmm. How much a good rifle is? How much a good mm-hmm. scope is? Mm-hmm. How much ammunition is? Mm-hmm. And a seven-day, five-species planes game hunt. Meaning the hunt costs as much as the training and the gear to get there? 100%. Um, boy, that's probably very close. I never thought of it in that terms, but I bet it is very close. So why then do hunters spend that much money, or the equal amount of money, as they would on a hunt? Why why spend all that thing? Just go on the hunt. We'd be shocked how many people, you know, we see the ones that come here. But we get, you know, 700 students a year. Mm-hmm. Um, five, call it 500 civilians or mm-hmm. hunters, if you mm-hmm. will. The others are military. Um, um, I would say that how many African Plains Game Safaris or Plains how many African hunts are sold annually? I've heard the number. It's around 25,000. Okay. So, But you're not the only shooting school. No, we're not. So, But um, there's not that many more shooting schools, and certainly not any that pump out, mm-hmm. you know, run all year mm-hmm. type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I would guess that maybe, my, my guess, completely unverified, 10% of the people that are going on that African trip would spend the money on this course because of the cost no i think a lot of hunters and we meet them all the time don't think they need it Uh the typical sales cycle at the trade shows is a guy walks by and says, you know i've heard of that but you know i'm good i'm i'm fine he goes on that hunt that that year yeah yeah blows it yeah walks right in the booth and writes a check the next the next year yeah yeah Typical sales cycle. Mm -hmm. You see it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's humbling. I mean, a lot of people, I'll tell you, the example is women are absolutely, by far and away, the first ones to say, I'm not going hunting unless I get properly trained. 100%. Um, Well, you saw yesterday, the women here are out shooting me and Kyle (laughs) 10 times over. That was my next statement. (laughs) And it's it's almost 100% of the time they're going to be the top shooters in the class. Because they listen. They're not. They, they, look, they don't have preconceived ideas. They don't have what I call the John Wayne complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're a clean slate, and they, they, mm-hmm. they pick it up really quickly. Yeah, I just think that there's little bits and pieces. Like, if even though there's only 10% of the people that are investing, they're still investing. Mm-hmm. And they're still investing for a reason that is, I want to be as responsible of a hunt as I possibly can, and the the utmost responsibility that I have is to ensure that I take that animal's life as quickly and as lethally as possible. Right. 
And I think that, you know, I think writ large, when you take a step back from in social media, in the digital media age, you heard me talk last year, that we don't, it's not sexy of a hundred photographs of your journey from day one to the animal being on the deck. 95 of them should be of everything that you've done, you know, or you put the animal, you know, three quarters because afterwards you've got all the food and you've got all the things that come after it. There should be one or two pictures in a, in a cycle of a hundred pictures if you are truly documenting this journey or what a hunt is, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, 95, in today's world, 95 of those hundred are the dead animal, five maybe of the journey. Right. A sunset or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, how do we get people to, to change? Peer pressure a little bit. They see more people doing it. Yes. Mm. But at the end of the day, you've got this dopamine thing that's sitting on your lap right here that, you know, that every time you check it, you know, you've seen people do that. I watch my, I watch my wife do it. I do it. I, ca- I catch myself like, I'll look at it right now. I'll open it. I'll close it. I'll stick it down. Within 10 seconds, I pick it back up. I open it. I check it. <laughs> the best thing about those modern cell phones is the camera on them. <laughs> you know, the camera's ready to go. <laughs> yeah. So you can journalize your, your, your uh, or, you know, photograph your journey. Um, it, it's interesting, though, Robbie. We're seeing, we're seeing a bit of a trending towards more responsibility um there is pressure on hunters um social media has done tremendous amounts of damage by irresponsible photographs being taken Mm -hmm. published and so forth that what we are seeing is is a more of a trend towards being a responsible hunter for lots of reasons because we owe it to the animal number one most importantly number two you know these these journeys are expensive and you'd want to be on top of your game when you get there. We've got one gentleman who will be back in December. This will be his 29th trip. Jeez. And he has a he has a, a, a philosophy that before he goes on any big hunt, he will come here within a few months before. Because he doesn't go to the range like none of us do like we should. Well, right. I, I do. I live here, right? Yeah, sure. But the average hunter does not go to the range, you know, Every weekend for a month before he before he leaves on his hunt, we're just busy. We don't have mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and a lot of hunters don't realize the under you know, don't understand the. You know, they might be a great four inch shooter to hundred yards, but that is twelve inches at three hundred yards. Yep. And so you know, a lot of hunters don't actually don't even understand that. Yep. And so you saw the bells and alarms, not the alarms. You saw the bells and the lights come on during class on the first morning, right? Um, these ladies here, yourself and these ladies, probably have more understanding, basic gun and ballistic and hunting understanding than the average Joe hunter. 100%. And so it's amazing. And another good example of this is, so a guy's come through, this is his third trip. And the morning of day one, we're always going to go through class, and he'll come to me at breakfast and say, ah, come on, Tim. Man, don't make me sit through that class. It never fails. I tell him, look, just promise me, go through the class. If you don't learn at least five new things, then I'll buy you all the beer you want to drink at night. <laughs> Is a joke, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's never failed yet. They always come back and say, you know, you didn't teach me that last time. Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah, mm. right. Mm. Yeah. We just change the class. Change for the class every yeah. time for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the repeaters. Oh, we need to add some more things yeah. in for the repeaters. 
<laughs> and they get the grin on their face and they admit, hmm, I didn't retain it last time, did exactly. I? Exactly. No, you didn't. Exactly. None of us do. You can't retain everything. Well, it's just the math, right? It's, it's, it's you know, then you've got, like, I had, I had a MOA scope. <laughs> and then the last gun I put up there had a mill scope. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, like, in my brain going, oh, shit, like, how do I get my brain <laughs> wrapped around MOA and then mill? And then the wind. The wind is all, that is where the art is, like. Feeling it on your face, like which direction is it coming from? Is it coming from one o'clock? Is it coming from 90 degrees from me? Is it coming in my face? And if it's in my face, I don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. If it's to the right or to the left, and then you put cosine in between the 90, so one o'clock is actually 50%, you know? So it's just like, and then you, you, it's telltales, like little leads. Okay, that's quote unquote five miles per hour, six miles per hour. You know, right. the, the branches are swaying. Okay, now you're in 12 to 13 miles an hour. Right. And then how does that 12 to 13 miles an hour then translate into MOA that you need to hold mm-hmm. off of the target itself? Mm-hmm. And then you add the pressure on like, okay, it's just steel, right? It's not an animal. <laughs> and it's not moving. You try and simulate that out there like with us. Mm-hmm. Okay, you shot the animal at 200. It just moved to 250. Get back on at 250. There's more wind at 250 or 400 or whatnot. Right. Yeah, it was it was definitely eye opening to me, and you know, I, I I had the same sort of attitude. I was like, I've shot a lot. I know how to shoot, and like I was the first, and nobody's going to understand this on the podcast, but I was the first booger flicker <laughs> in the class, <laughs> and that means that for everyone that's listening, is that when you pull the trigger, my my trigger finger flew off the trigger as soon as I f- I pulled the trigger. And it was called out immediately. I was the first shot. The film went boom because I thought, oh, first shot, I'm going to be fine then. Oh, there's our first boogie. I was like, oh, geez, like got my got my knees cut out from underneath <laughs> me. Like humble myself, <laughs> learn how to shoot because I didn't know how to shoot. Right. I've never been taught that. I've never been taught proper follow through or anything right. like that. Right. Did, did Dave tell you Tim's uh, stupid philosophy on booger flicking? Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> my, in my opinion, because there's no mechanically sound or good reason to ever flick your finger off the trigger right after you've squeezed the trigger uh-uh. i mean why would you do that yeah i think people do it because they feel guilty for smashing the trigger oh and what's happening is and this is what we teach the hunters again and again and again while they're here when you get on that 450 yard shot for that doll sheep and you're breathing heavy and your heart's going nuts you you just need to settle down because if you're wobbling more than half the kill zone size don't shoot mm-hmm Build a new house, what mm-hmm. we call build a house, get a, get a new position, get mm-hmm. more stable, get mm-hmm. your elbow more stable, get your feet spread out, your fat, your feet flat, and that sort of thing. Um, anyways, get more stable. And until you're wobbling less than half the kill zone, don't even attempt to shoot. And once you are, like let's say, wobbling a fourth of the kill zone or maybe you got rock-solid hold, then forget about the movement. Because if you don't, you're going to flick it because I want the bullet to go right Bam. There. Exactly. And the minute you accelerate the, the trigger, the problem is that flexes all those tendons and muscles in your arm to your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And guess what's attached to your shoulder? The gun. So you came out of the neon <laughs> sign-making business <laughs> and decided you were going to get into the long-range shooting business. How Did you just love hunting and then just realize that there was a niche for this? It's funny. Um, bought the ranch in 96. Um Ranch is kind of in my blood. I spent a good deal of time as a youngster growing up on a ranch, cattle okay. and 
lots of other things ranch. And uh, so it's kind of in my blood. And bought the ranch in 96. Um, intended to raise endangered species. That was our objective. Um, Good exotic species market here in Texas. It's huge business yeah, in Texas. Yeah, huge business. But we wanted to focus on animals that are no longer huntable, whether indigenous from or extinct or close okay. to extinct or whatever, which is the reason the, we have the animals we have, mm-hmm. with the exception, obviously, of whitetails. But every, <laughs> every ranch has whitetails sure, in sure. Texas. So... Um, First trip to Zimbabwe, 1999. Susan and I arrive in camp, all excited. My first trip was a buffalo and leopard and plains game hunt. Okay. Chose Zimbabwe. Showed up in camp. Who'd you hunt with in Zimbabwe? It was, uh, he's gone now, Dudley Rogers. Okay. Remember? Mm-mm. Yeah. Chibese safaris. Anyways, he was okay. he was one of the big ones back then. Um, but rest his soul, he's passed on. But um, anyways... Uh, we arrived in camp, and there was a gentleman there. Um, I'll leave professions and states out of it, but he was from the Northeast. Okay. <laughs> Pretty interesting guy. Okay. And he was there with a brand-new Creekoff double gun and had never fired it, and he was there in an elephant hunt. Jeez. And it hit me like I could not wait to get back home. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, you have got to be kidding me. A hunter would actually do this? Mm-hmm. Of course, I'd been on a lot of hunts all over North America by that time. Mm-hmm. But good Lord, to go to hunt a buffalo, which will actually kill you. Elephants, yeah. Yeah, elephants, and you're surrounded. Yeah. In this, yeah, in his case, he was going to hunt an elephant. Um, unbelievable. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Robbie. I thought, there's, where's it? I've never heard of a hunter school, hunter mm-hmm. training school. Mm-hmm. So I came back, did some research. Not much internet back then, obviously, but did as much research as I could. And there... There really wasn't one. There was one in Arizona, still there, but they do more like marksmanship training sorts of things. They didn't really have a hunter training. So, but look, I knew to start that I needed to get, I needed to live here. So I actually sold that business in 2000 the next year, worked for them for four years, and then finally moved out here at the end of 04. Mm -hmm. And we started looking at developing it in the meantime we were still building the infrastructure to this place because when i bought that ranch then i within three years four years i bought three more ranches sure to make it what it is today but anyways um i got very lucky i got a phone call from a friend who had just gone through a little rifle training course someplace outside chicago it was one of these smaller 200 acre training facilities Mm -hmm. and the instructor he really thought the world of was a retired seal um, gave me his name and number, and I called him. And I told his name was Chip Beeman, is Chip Beeman. And I talked to him to some great length and said, look, here's what I'd like to do. I want to start a hunter training program here on the ranch. And dead silent, silence on the other end, and I thought, oh, man, I've lost him. He's not interested in something. <laughs> something. He said, um, Tim, let me l- let me call you right back in about an hour. I, I, so he did. And he said, hey, how soon do you want me down there? And I said, uh, Come on, any time. Two days later, he was down here, picked him up. Two airport. days. Two days later, picked him up at the airport. Um, great guy. And he and his friend, Doug Pritchard, had been kind of talking about doing the same sort of thing while they're sitting on the mountains in Afghanistan. Mm. And so this is 05, late 05. And um, so uh, ended up meeting Doug. Chip taught here for a number of years. And Doug still teaches here. Um, chips off. He's got lots of contracts on the West Coast. But anyways, uh, 
Doug was really our first full-time instructor, and then, of course, now we've, we're up to eight of them. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how the whole thing really started. You got 36 ranges here. Yes. Which is unbelievable. Yep. We only shot steel, but mm-hmm. driving around this morning, I noticed you had steel in animal silhouettes. Yep. So that's part of like, hey, there's an elk at 250, hit it in the vitals. Right. Get confident shooting it in the vitals at various distances. Right, right. Um, you also have big game range here. Mm-hmm. Big game being Several. elephant, Several buffalo, lion, yep. leopard, yep. swing targets, pulley targets, mm-hmm. charging targets, everything you can imagine. Yep. We even have a jungle course, chargers, movers, we call it down here. Did you um, simulate the jungle course off of um, pH training in Africa? Well, we, we we did it mainly for jungle hunting type training where things oh, flip out. T- very okay, rapidly. okay, okay, yes, yes, okay. So like Cameroon type things. Only we livened it up a bit. The last target's a life size T Rex. In so. um <laughs> in in South Africa, the you have your I don't even know what they call it, but it was you had your gun training for driving. Right. This is a game ranger, not a PH. Right. As a game ranger, I had to do, you know. 375 caliber and above, standing, 30-yard shot, 12-inch circle. Had to put three in a 12-inch circle. Then I had 15 seconds to put a bullet in a 12-inch circle at 30, 15, and 10 with a 375. And that was your standard shooting course that you had to pass. Mm Um I remember back so then. So it really wasn't much of a course. It was more of a test, isn't it? It was a test. Sorry, it was a test. That was a test you had to pass to be able to carry, to be able to drive tourists around with your vehicle and your 375. Okay. That was it. Okay. Um, I remember shooting, I have a 375CZ, Holland Holland, beautiful gun. And then somebody gave them gave me their 458 synthetic stock. <laughs> and I remember as an 18-year-old, I pulled the trigger once. And I was like, holy smokes, what the hell was that? Pulled it again, and I said, they were like, you need to pull it a third time. And it was like, you know, close your eyes, like, <laughs> you know, really flinch. Like, you did you did not want to pull that trigger again. Of course not, yeah. But then the next step to be able to walk guests as a game ranger was you had to do a, well, that's why I thought you had adopted the jungle course. It was, a jung- it was called a jungle course. Okay. And it was... Um, Specific to game reserves in the Pilonsburg, they they were like, okay, you know, they would test you like, where are you? What's the scenario? Where would an animal come from? Kind of thing. All right, there's an animal, two kill shots, put a third in if you need to kind of scenario. And they had two rhinos on the jungle course and you were not allowed to shoot the rhinos because if you did, it was a, a sort of reality practice because if you shot a rhino that charged you, in Pilansburg, not to mention if you shot period, right? You were right. in the wrong place at the wrong time. You shouldn't have been there. Right. But if you shot a rhino, it was done. Right. Like you were done. Right. So on that jungle course, they're like, because you're in the moment killing everything. Mm-hmm. And those rhinos flip out. You're like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Don't kill it. <laughs> well, you know, the tier one, well, all the all the operators, the special forces operators go through that type of training. You know, especially for breaching. and Yeah. CQB training. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it is. It's fun how to see how some people react. So you don't have that set up here, right? You don't have no. the house walls because no. there's a bunch of other people who do that kind of right. stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, our um, our military, we have six military ranges that we don't even allow civilians to shoot. 
you know, human silhouettes. We're not going to allow that. Gotcha. But that's not, yeah, what we are. Gotcha. If people want more information about coming here, come to FTW, S-A-A-M. Yep. Where do they find more information? Uh, on the internet, it's uh, ftwsam.com. And then, um, or they can call, you know, call the ranch here. It's 830-234-4366. That's not your cell phone. I that's hope you didn't give it up. That's not my cell phone. No, it's not. <laughs> that's the landline. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, email, can they send an email? Sure. Uh, send an email to ftwsupport at ftwsam.com. So it's perfect. Foxtrot Tango Whiskey Sierra Alpha Alpha Mike.com. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Robbie, I've enjoyed this. Thank you. No, thank you Good for the questions. hospitality, man. Like, you, I, was, I wasn't given a choice, but I'm glad I wasn't given a choice <laughs> back in January. Like, you're coming. I was like, okay, I'm coming. But it's well, been brilliant. That wasn't the first invite. That's correct. It wasn't. No, but you need to come back. You need to go through the safari course or the I precision will. course. We do need to shoot my 416. Yes, we do. We'll, do, we'll get that done. But I would definitely, tomorrow. like now, even now I know what, I know now what I didn't know. That's right. You don't know what you don't know. And it's like, holy smokes. Like, I feel so much better as a shooter. Like, Good. And there's so much more to do, like so much more to learn, so much more confidence to build. Right. So, yeah. No, thanks, Tim. Well, you know, a lot of it is, you just said something very important. Good shooting is probably 80% confidence. Mm-hmm. 20% skills, 80%, mm-hmm. I got this. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. And the gun, you know the trigger, you know the trigger yep. pull, you know what it's going to act, you know how it's going to act, you know how it yep. feels, yep. you know how you feel on it. Yep. Yep. Have you heard people say, in closing, have you heard people say in the past, well, let that trigger surprise you. Have you ever heard that from a from an instructor? Yeah. That's so wrong. Really? <laughs> yeah, it is wrong. You should know you when should it's going to go. know when it's going to go off. Absolutely. But wouldn't you, in, as you build confidence, then anticipate it more? Um, well, you have to mentally tune yourself out of that anticipation. You've got the shot. You're going to put it exactly where you're aiming, and it squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Here it goes. Bam. So I've, I, I'll tell you that. So I have. I used three different triggers in the last two days mm-hmm. the sig to me was the best because the sig it was almost two stage so i knew i could there was a lot there was a big slack to it mm-hmm. yep. until it hit a wall yep so i knew i was like Zhook! yep and then it's like just a little bit more boom off it went some people really like the bagara yeah. was so like it was like a three pound trigger but it, it didn't move at all it was just like Kah! okay and it was almost something that it would surprise you all the time. You couldn't dial it. And then the 270 is a, um, is it a Timney Calvin trigger? Yep. Or Calvin yeah. Timney? Uh, it's Timney. Normal. Timney, Timney yeah. Calvin. Yeah. And that one has, it's a super light trigger, but I know it's super light. So it's right. just, just a little bit and boom, yeah. off it went. Off yep. it goes. Yep. That's no, good stuff. No, thank you, Tim. All right. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome! 
Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.